First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, a scripture that you should know and love. I'm reading from the ESV. And the Bible declares and says, but in your hearts, Peter says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Somebody say holy. Always being prepared to make a defense. Someone say a defense. To anyone who asks you. Defense, there's that word, apologia. An answer, a defense. This is where we get the word apologetics. Somebody say apologetics. In other words, the ability to make a defense for the Christian faith against that which is considered as heterodox or unorthodox or against that which is sound teaching or the faith, the apostolic faith, the Catholic faith, as we declared, the universal faith, that which came to us from the time of Christ and was passed down by the apostles and those who came after them all down through the generations that we hold to now. It is apologetics when we defend. Somebody say, make a defense. In other words, he's encouraging us to play defense. Come on, somebody. We just make it plain. <clears throat> this is the assignment. And he says, anyone. Somebody say, anyone. Anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. There it is. It's a lot of people, a lot of us that are unable to effectively defend the faith or reach people, not because it's not true, but it's because of the way in which we do it. I will note this, that the word gentleness there is not in the sense of, it's not referring to volume as much as it's referring to heart posture. In other words, it's encouraging us to be in a place of humility. Someone say me, humility. So it's from a place, I can't be rough and I can't be arrogant and prideful and rough, right? Heart posture wise. If I truly remember, if you are a believer, how you even got to the foot of the cross. And many people who don't operate in this manner, the reason why is because they got amnesia. And they forgot about where it is and how it is that Jesus brought you unto himself. And so... This is the assignment, especially we are in. Uh, last Sunday was Ascension Sunday. This Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And this one going to be a surprise party for some of y'all. Next week is Trinity Sunday. Oh, yeah. See, somebody just got real. They're like, man, because these are. This, and this is why in many regards so many people believe stuff that is not, that is not historical Christianity. Or that is a reincarnation of something that was historic false doctrine and the reason why is because we stop celebrating and holding to the things to the feasts and the high days that matter in the church that are not meant for us to idolize them but they're meant to continue as signposts so that we can remember the things we should remember I tell people all the time I'm saying this and then we're going to what I want to preach about today to begin this series but I tell people as Christians we don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus was born on December 25th 
A lot of people are like, oh, we just using this pagan stuff and Christmas trees and all this. Don't put up a Christmas tree if you don't want to. You don't want hollies and Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Then don't put any of that stuff up. You don't want to give people gifts? Then be a waste suit and don't give gifts. That's on you, fam. Right? Like, but there's reasoning behind it. They give gifts to symbolize the, the, the greatest gift that was given to us. I know pagans did stuff, but that's not the reason why you have to do it. The reason why the church comes around Advent and around Christmas is to remind us about the first Advent of Jesus. The virgin birth. We literally, listen, we literally have Christian pastors, and I do Christian in inverted commas, who literally are pastors that don't believe in a real virgin birth. You have Christian pastors that literally are atheists. How can you be a Christian pastor and be an atheist? Here in our city and in our nation. And this, so when people, people get mad, we, we're talking about Christ. No, we do these things to remind us. So today on Pentecost, it's important for us to remember what happened. We wear red because it represents liturgically or the, the church together. It represents by the altar cloths and the colors and all that. It's supposed to remind you the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. So all of these things are sermons for the eyes. They join together with the preached word. Come on, somebody. I'm just trying to help you. And these festivals and things that we do, if you're an idolater, then you're an idolater. You can make a phone into an idol. But when these things are used in their proper place and in the context of balance, they are helpful. Can I just talk today? So, notice this is what he says. 1 Peter 3.15 in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. This is why we're serious about this stuff. For a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Another one for you to write down, Jude. The book of Jude only has one chapter. Um, and so when you refer to Jude, when you call numbers, it's the verses within the, in the book. And Jude, verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. Do what? To contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Notice he says to contend for, did he say, for your faith? He says to contend for the faith. In other words, referring to the Christian faith. I know this ain't shouting stuff. We already shouted. Y'all need to lean into this stuff. It's imperative. It's important for us to grab this. For us to be able to have something strong to stand on. To be able to carry out our purpose, which is to call others to Christ. He says to contend. There it is again. We're talking about making a defense. Standing guard. Today we are being tossed to and fro with every wind of foolishness. 
And it is imperative. I don't care. People wondering. They're saying to us, they're like, oh, what are they doing over there? Are they this? Are they that? I can't put my finger on it. I, all you need to know is that people are getting saved. Come on. Christian people are being converted nonstop from other religions. Come on, somebody. They're getting in the baptismal pool and being converted to faith in Christ. And people are like, what on earth is going on? It's because we are, we are holding to the things that matter to Jesus. Listen, too long. We are in a time where people care about what people think when they look at you or what they're going to say in their car. God is not, God does not care more about your comfort than he does your salvation. He doesn't, he, he cares, he doesn't care about the preacher up here in tennis shoes. Come on somebody. And, and uh, Jordans and, and Air Force Ones and all this stuff. More than he does you holding to the things that matter to the Christian faith. And so it's imperative and it's important for us to keep the things out there that matter. And so with this being said, I want that was just a little precursor to this series, Apologia, to make a defense. Because I'm believing that we are going to be believers. I talk to people all the time like, ah, that stuff don't matter. Yes, it does. And I'm going to say it all again. I'm going to say this because when we're talking about Jesus, as long as you believe in Jesus, I always say it. Which one? Muslims believe Jesus is some, something. Mormons believe that Jesus is, their Jesus is Lucifer's spirit brother. So if the Jesus, I said, what? And y'all up in these churches, oh, they said Jesus. They must be, we got to find ways to unify. We're going to unify on the stuff. If, the, if it's not the Jesus, come on somebody, that says I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come on. And that no one comes to the Father but by him. John 14, 6. Then I don't want that Jesus. I don't worship the Jesus that's Lucifer's spirit, brother. And that's why I tell people, when people come from all these other religions and stuff and whatever, they're like, I was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the... Which Son? Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is a God. They don't believe that he is almighty God or a part of the holy trinity because they don't believe in a trinity. They throw all of that out and Jesus is a lesser God. He is the, the greatest creation of Jehovah. John chapter 1. They even thwarted John chapter 1 to mess it up and make it, to make it say something that in, even in the Greek, it doesn't even make sense. A God in the way that it's rendered. They, the way that they render it. No, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was God. Come on, and the word was with God. Come on, somebody, and nothing was made without him. He made everything that was made. So if he made everything that was made, how is he made? Oh, can I just stand for the faith? No, no, Nowadays, too many people running after all sorts of foods. So when we're talking about the Holy Ghost, this, this is important because Acts chapter 2 turned there. Something special happens here in Acts chapter 2. Y'all going to hang with me for a little bit? Look, because in Acts chapter 2, I want you to understand this. When we're talking about the Holy Ghost, the question comes to us too. Which one? Those same Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is, I mean that the Holy Ghost is just Jehovah's life force. So he's just a force. He's just like the energy of Jehovah. And again, I want you to understand this because this is the stuff that is attacking our faith. Jehovah's life force 
No, no, no. He's not just some power. Fact of the matter says in Ephesians, we're still in Acts chapter 2, but write this down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How can you grieve something that's just Jehovah's life force? The Holy Spirit is a person. The third person or part of the triune God, of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a person. The only reason he can be grieved is because he is a person. Just like the Father and just like the Son. Are y'all with me? And so this is the orthodox perspective. And when I say orthodox, I mean the right perspective, lowercase o. When we say Catholic, it's lower C, Catholic. In other words, universal or the right way of looking at things. So y'all at Acts chapter 2? So peep this. This is this, this dope. This is dope. So Acts chapter 1, we talked about last week. Jesus, after being on the earth for how many days after he rose? 40. Some of y'all were paying attention in Sunday school. 40 days he was on the earth and then he is caught up to heaven. And we don't believe in no secret rapture because he says that the same way he went up is the same way that he's coming back. I believe in a bodily resurrection, a bodily return of Christ. And this is powerful stuff. It's important. But then before he leaves, he tells them, wait in the upper room and pray. And he tells them that not many days from now, you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says in, in Acts chapter 1, I believe it's verse 8, he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit, uh, which is going to give you power to be a witnesses, a witness to me. And he says into Samaria, to Judea, and then he talks about all these places, and he says the uttermost parts of the world. So the promise is that they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it comes on Pentecost Day. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Everybody say Pentecost. Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Bible says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And because Jesus keeps his word, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, some words say cloven tongues, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Imagine this sight. And the Bible says, it says, rested on each of them, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there are many of you, you might have heard of this uh, phenomenon called speaking in tongues. And I know there's a lot of um, Hollywood and glamorized types of understanding of what is taking place. But there are two aspects. We talk about this in Next Steps. Shameless plug. In week two of Next Steps, we go deep into this. But there are tongues of men, which we see here, known tongues to everyone. And Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 and onward, he talks about tongues of angels. In other words, this is where you hear about a heavenly language or languages that are not known to the confines of the, of the, uh, that are in our earth since Babel, right? And so it is important for us to understand this here. They are able to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want to jump to verse 12 and then I'm filling some spaces. Look, 
It says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then the Bible goes on and says, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. In other words, they drunk. They are up in here turned, fam. And then look what he says in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give air to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So Pete, what happens here? Mandem are in the upper room. They are praying. They are obeying what Jesus said. To just part there until the Holy Ghost falls. While they are there and they're going hard, people that started with them end up fizzling out and 120 of them are left in the room. The Holy Ghost comes on them. They speak in languages they never learned. This is so powerful and significant, which I'll break down in a moment. But the people think they're drunk. Now, this is insane to me and I love it. Because after this, and I'm not going to read it all. I want you to write this down. I want you to check this chapter out today if you can. If not, this week as you reflect on Pentecost. Peter then goes on to give them an explanation. He doesn't just say, y'all just don't get it. That's on you, fam. Because the purpose of the Holy Ghost, watch was according to Acts 1.8 for the purpose of witnessing and not just vanity. Here we see apologia taking place. He goes on and he preaches a sermon to make clear and to give language to what was misunderstood as chaos. This is important because here is the first, this first example that we see of apologia where there is a definition as to what is happening. Can I tell you this? What seems like chaos can lead to conversion with an explanation. Peep this. The end of the, ch the, end of the chapter. Skip all the way down to verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to say that again in a second. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You need to preach that sermon today. So those who received the word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Are you hearing? What seems like chaos can lead to conversion with an explanation. Many of us Christians today, especially those who consider ourselves Pentecostal, care more about our experience with the Holy Ghost than using the Holy Spirit for what he was sent to us for. Oh, can I just talk to somebody today? You Pentecostal, and we get together and we dance and we shout, but nobody's getting saved. People are coming in our environments and leaving condemned. The amount, of, the amount of these environments that's supposed to have the Holy Ghost, that people come to our church and they are in tears. And they're like, Pastor, I went to this church. I stood at the altar. And, and, no, and they prayed for everybody else. But because my skirt was above my knee. 
and my ear was pierced. Y'all don't want. They left me standing there. Oh, am I just allowed to? T- and they prayed for everybody else. I'm telling you, what type of Holy Ghost do we have that folks can come up in church bound and leave bound? Come on, somebody. Don't you go to the hospital when you're sick? Isn't it people who need a physician that are supposed? The fact of the matter is that we are so caught up in our dancing and in our shouting that we forgot about what the purpose of the Holy Ghost is. And so Peter doesn't say, y'all just stay here in your, in your ignorance and you don't get it and you don't understand and that's okay. Peter says, no, I'm going to stay here and preach the gospel to you. I'm going to explain. He went all the way back and God used this for 3,000 people got baptized because he gave an explanation. People wonder, they say, pastor, why do y'all have to give explanations before every single thing that you do? Right now we're going to make the sign of the cross and we do this to remember our baptism and we do this to focus our hearts and our minds on the cross of Christ. Come on somebody. And to invoke the presence of the Trinity who is the object and the focus of our worship. Now together in the name of the Father and the Son. We do this because an explanation is needed. Otherwise folk are going to come up here and be like y'all just y'all Roman Catholic? But can I tell you that you go to a Lutheran church, you go to a Methodist church. Come on, somebody. You go to churches that are historically rooted. The closer to the Reformation you get, the more of these ancient things that actually matter and help us to remember the things that matter, you will see those things represented and present there. The further away from the Reformation you get into all of the tens of thousands of, do- uh, tens of, thousands of bedazzled gene churches, We forget the things that matter and we show up with no reverence. Why is it weird for us to bow in the presence of God? People are like, why y'all bowing? Why you bowing so much? Well, you need to bow too. Maybe if we bow our knees. Okay, well, I'm just going to. I'm just saying, man. But I'm saying reverence has been lost. The things that matter, come on somebody, are being thrown out the window all because of comfort. And we care more about vanity than we do holiness or conversion or seeing people's lives transform. And no, I'm not saying that God is not moving. No, we are not a cult. We don't have it all right. We are still growing. That's why we continue to shift. People are like, yo, this isn't the way that you were when you first started. Duh! Yo, fam, I would hope so. We are growing. The more, I'm telling you, fam, the more that we learn, the more we are going to grow. Come on. I dare you to buckle in your seatbelt. And as long as people are coming to Christ, people are looking. I'm telling you, pastors are calling and saying, how is, how is this happening? And we're saying, it's not us, man. It's the power of God. When you say yes to the Lord, he honors that. And he's doing a mighty thing. So this is powerful because he gives, they give, he gives an explanation. And consequently, 3,000 people are saved. Y'all still with me? So look, I want you to understand this. Pentecost, because some of you are wondering, what is Pentecost? And why did God choose to do this on Pentecost? What is Pentecost? Is Pentecost the name of the birth of the church? 
Was that the name of the move that took place? Well, I want you to understand this. Can I tell you, first of all, God is a guide, not a gambler. God is a guide, not a gambler. In other words, he doesn't do stuff by chance. He does it by choice. And there's there's a significant reason as to why it is that he decided to pour out his spirit on Pentecost. One more time, say Pentecost. The word Pentecost, uh, it means the 50th part of a thing. In our case, as Christians, Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection. So 50 days after Jesus rose from death uh, is when we celebrate Pentecost. 40 days after is when we celebrate the ascension. And so, not only this, uh, essentially it's 50 days after the Passover weekend, which is uh, synonymous with when we celebrate Easter. And it was one of the three, how many? Three pilgrimage pilgrimage feasts where every adult male was required to present themselves there in Jerusalem. The other word for it is Shavuot. Everybody say Shavuot. It's a Hebrew word. So, uh, it's Pentecost. The Greek transliteration, and then there's Shavuot, and it's Pentecost, it's 50 days. And so it is significant. I want you to peep this. At Pentecost, the celebration for Jews, because it was a Jewish feast, they celebrated and remembered the giving of the law. Everybody say the giving of the law. So they celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Now, the reason why this is significant is when the law was given because of the sin of the people. In Write this down. Exodus chapter 32 verse 28. I want you to peep this. I'm not going to go to it now. But the Bible makes it clear that the 3,000 people from the Israelites die in the giving of the law. Go read Exodus chapter 32 when you get a chance. Look at it. Because of the golden calf and they were worshiping the golden calf. And then they, they, God's like, you know, Moses comes down and he's vexed and he, the, 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 uh, the tablets get broken. He has to get them again and whatever. And God makes a command for them to go. And now 3,000 people die. So it is significant. I'm going to be here for a second. It's significant though that I want you to peep this. That with those 3,000 people now, hear me, on Pentecost Sunday. When they're gathering together to celebrate the law, God chooses to pour out the Holy Spirit. And how many people get saved? Are are y'all seeing this stuff? And all those people that got wasted because of their sin, he showed that there was something better than the law that was coming. Come on, somebody. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 3, can I just teach for a second? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 and onward, the Bible makes it clear. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, he says the, that he calls the law, and specifically the Ten Commandments, the ministry of death, written and engraven in stones. And then he goes on, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 and onward. He goes on then to contrast it with the ministry of the Spirit, which is a ministry of life. And so the law pointed out our inadequacy, our need for salvation, the fact that we were waste youths and we needed Jesus. And then Jesus shows up. He dies for our sins, rises from death. Can I talk about it? 
and then leaves. And after he leaves, sends the Holy Ghost as he promised on Pentecost. When they're gathered around this law that points out death. And he calls them to receive something greater. The Holy Ghost. Which is a ministry of life. Are you with me? Ain't that good stuff? You ought to celebrate that right there. I just love it. I love it. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through 12 when you get a chance. But I want you to understand this because the Holy Ghost prior to this was not here. You know, uh, many people think the Holy Ghost was already poured out in the way that he was in Acts chapter 2. Well, no. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Lots of scriptures today. I'm teaching this stuff. I want you to grab this. Jesus says, watch in verse 39 specifically. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus said this to the disciples before he died and rose from death and left and sent the Holy Spirit. He made it clear the Spirit was not yet given. In the Old Testament and times before Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was only given to people to carry out specific tasks. But the promise and the prophecy was that today, when the birthday of the church was to be, that God would give the Holy Ghost, he would give it not just to specific people to be able to have one task, but he would give it and make it available to, through his church and to the rest of the world. Are you with me? This powerful stuff. So I want you. So he's, no, no. The Holy Ghost is imperative for us to understand this. And so I want you to get this because, and I'll say this. Remember, there's this explanation, and then I'm going to close in a minute. But I want you to understand there's an explanation that is given. God, and the reason why, you know, and this is why God has called us to be seeker aware, not seeker controlled. So look, pick it, pick it. Yeah. God has not called us to be seeker uh, controlled. He's called us to be seeker aware. I was a part of a church that said, I can't say hallelujah. They said, I can't say amen. They said all of these things. Something like, come again. Because look, their idea was all those things are too churchy. So if you dance or if you do these things, it's going to make people feel like weird. No, I'm not being controlled. Yeah, listen, you want me to, and I tell this all the time, you want me to go to your con- worldly concerts? You want me to, to get in my feelings over the TV? You want me to do all this stuff? But when we come to church to celebrate our risen Christ, who is Lord of the world, you want me to keep quiet now? No, 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 no. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands. Come on, serve the Lord with gladness. Come on. Come before his presence with singing. Are you with me today? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. Clap your hands, oh ye people, that's Bible, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. So this is why we do what we do. So, so look, 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 I'm seeker aware. I'm under, I understand that people will come in and be like, and some of y'all are here today, you're like, why are these people so excited? And I'm going to give you an explanation. Here is the reason why. 
this is it. So there's an explanation. We are aware, but I'm not going to be controlled. I'm going to dance until I don't got no more dance in my feet. Come on, somebody. I'm going to clap until I don't have no more clapping. I'm going to jump. I wonder if there's anybody in here that will join with the psalmist says. He says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you don't know what to praise him for, praise him for his mighty acts. My God is such an incredible God. And he deserves it. And so we give explanation as to how. And so, you know, someone says, well, then asking the question, well, does that mean that every time I get the Holy Ghost that it's supposed to be tongues? Tongues is important and it's powerful. I speak in tongues. I loved in tongues. If you look at my mouth when I'm over here, I'm going absolutely ham to the heavens. But the fact of the matter is, in my closet at home, and when we have our experience, and yes, Tongues is great, but how many of you know that too many people put a hyper focus on tongues and forget that, that some people in Pentecostal circles think the Holy Ghost is tongues. Are you hearing me today? In the book of Acts, there was a hyper focus on tongues and prophecy. But the fact of the matter is that that is not the only experience or evidence that the Holy Ghost is in your life. And so there are some of you that want tongues, ask him for it. But that is, should not be the only evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. In Acts chapter 4, Bible makes it clear that they were being persecuted. Y'all still with me? They were being persecuted. And then the Bible makes it clear that they got together and corporately. Sometimes you wonder why do we pray together. They cried out to God together. And the Bible says the Holy Ghost fell where they were. She was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word with boldness. Sometimes the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is boldness. Well, he'll give you the ability to do stuff and say stuff. Come on. When people looking at you, screw face. When you're at your work, you will go ahead and give an explanation because you want people to experience conversion instead of chaos. And so there it is. There are more. I want you to write this down. First Corinthians chapter 12. In first Corinthians chapter 12, uh, just the whole chapter talks about the Holy Spirit. There are seven other manifestations of the Holy Spirit in addition to tongues and prophecy that you should go and look at. I ask the Lord to manifest these things as needed in my life. God is talking about it and you should as well. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, write this down. He gives a whole ex uh, exposition on how to use the, the supernatural gifts of God with wisdom so that you are effective as we are talking about so it's important for us to make sure but he asked the question and I'm going to peep this first Corinthians 12 verse 27 through 31 for everybody who says you need to speak in tongues or you don't have the Holy Ghost look at what he's asked the question he says now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it and God has appointed in each church first apostles Second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then he asked a rhetorical question. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? 
Do all work miracles? Do all possess, get, possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but desire earnestly higher gifts? So he makes it clear that everyone doesn't do the same things all the time. And he's not saying it in a condescending manner like we do, running around. I'll never forget, I was at, my wife went to a birthday party. And the birthday party was almost done. And I had left the birthday party and she came home and she was absolutely devastated looking in my face. I'm like, babe, what happened? And she was like, babe, at this birthday party, they told me I don't have the Holy Ghost. And a bunch of women, came. my wife is, by, by the way, this whole time, my wife is traveling as a missionary to the Middle East and to Africa and being used of the Lord and all this stuff during this time. And a bunch of ladies who told her she don't have the Holy Ghost in a oneness Pentecostal church come around her in a circle and tell her, loose your jaw. Say Jesus real fast. And they're around her going absolutely bonkers. And many of us think that you, and I'm not being disrespectful. I'm telling how damaging these things can be. You're trying to manipulate the situation to turn into something, an outcome that you want. That might not have been the manifestation that God wanted to give her at that time in her life. But instead, because you taught that the Holy Ghost is tongues. Sitting there lambashing and going over her and, and condemning her. And she left there. And this is when we were younger. And she left there and she was devastated. She's like, what on earth? And she stayed. She didn't want to go nowhere near anything like that. So it's important that we have a godly perspective. So I want you to note this. Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But then they continued to receive the Holy Spirit after. Things happen in our lives, and you can help me now. Things happen in our lives, the cares of life. God didn't expect for you to just have a one-time experience. But I love that our God, Jesus gives free refills. Burger King don't even give you free refills no more. And through our lives, Ephesians 5.18, the Apostle Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, ironically tying it to that experience at Pentecost, this is where we learn drunkenness or intoxication is problematic. He says in, in, therein is debauchery or excess. He's not saying don't drink. That's not the point. He's saying don't be drunk. But he says be filled. Somebody say be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it indicates an ongoing thing. A continual thing. That we are to seek God for the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And can I tell you one of the ancient prayers, the oldest prayers of time. Is come Holy Spirit. In the 200s, theologian by the name of Hippolytus is attributed to writing a prayer for the early believers that had them welcoming the Holy Spirit. And the prayer was... And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. In the 800s, Benedictine monk by the name of Rabinus Marcus or Maris, he wrote a song equipping the church to sing the prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, creator, come. In the 1200s, the prayer, come Holy Spirit, was written as a Latin worship poem. 
called Veni Sancti Spiritus. And it took this on a central place in worship in the, in the Western church. Come Holy Spirit. It's a simple prayer. But it is one that is potent. And my encouragement to you is that now that the Holy Ghost has been poured out as was prophesied in Acts chapter 2, is that every day, include in your prayer, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me and empower me to be a witness for you. That I can go out and that I can tell others about you. That I can utilize the Holy Spirit for the reason it is that God gave him to us. If this message was a blessing to you, I encourage you to put those hands together and give the Lord the praise. I dare you right there where you are, just open your hands once again and just say, come Holy Spirit.